Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello there. Welcome to session 105 of Selling the Couch. Hope you are having a warm week and uh, staying nice and toasty. It has gotten pretty cold here in Philly. January has to be my least favorite month living up here in the Northeast because I am so not used to this cold, but uh, I'm surviving. I have discovered multiple layers of clothing, have discovered all sorts of things to keep me warm, so I'm surviving, but I uh, hope you're staying nice and warm. Uh, today's podcast is a topic that I've been thinking a lot about, which is how do you manage multiple clinicians as a private practitioner, i.e., how do you make that transition from just being a solo practitioner, and what do you do? What does that process look like if you want to add and become a group practice? Now, this is kind of related, but you know, with selling the couch as it has grown, one of the things that I've realized is that early on with selling the couch, I was doing everything from editing the podcast, to recording interviews, to writing up show notes and creating artwork. But as Selling a Couch continued to grow and I was getting pulled in multiple directions, one of the things that I, I quickly realized was that I had to move from a position of doing everything to being more of the CEO of my business, that I had to delegate and I had to figure out hiring decisions and things like that. I think the same thing happens in private practice. I wanted to have Jennifer Cobb on today's podcast. Jennifer has become a friend. She's a licensed clinical social worker down in Greensboro, North Carolina. She's the owner of Guilford Counseling. And Jennifer has built a very successful private practice focused on DBT. And uh, she has three clinicians currently to her practice. And I wanted to talk to Jennifer about how she has made that transition from being a solo private practitioner to being now the owner of a group and the, the, the things that the challenges and the positives and all of those things that that transition brings. More specifically, we're going to talk all about what motivated Jennifer to even get started in private practice, how she at a practical level and at an emotional level knew that she was ready to make that transition to hiring additional clinicians. Um, Jennifer is going to share a lot of the tips, her top three tips that she has learned in terms of hiring clinicians and thinking a bigger picture about what she wanted 
her private practice to communicate. And then we're going to talk about some of the mistakes and the unanticipated things that Jennifer's learned along the way. This is a really practical conversation, especially if you're thinking at some point that you will want to branch out. So here's my conversation with Jennifer Cobb from guilfordcounseling.com. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Thank you. I'm very excited and honored to be here, Melvin. Yeah, I'm grateful to have gotten to know you and I'm grateful for our friendship. And I think when I was thinking about this topic, I was like, oh, Jennifer can really talk about this. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, I'm excited. So you've been busy as a business owner, building a private practice, expanding, adding clinicians and all sorts of things. And I know that you've learned a lot of things along the way. Absolutely. Some what to do's, what not to do's. It's all learning. Absolutely. You know, I wanted to start just general. What motivated you to get started in private practice? I was a little bit older, I guess, when I went back to grad school. So I had several years in the, I guess, the clinical social work arena before going back to grad school. So I kind of knew going into school that eventually that was my goal. But then, you know, I got out of grad school and did some agency work and loved it, but then had some personal things. So I got married, got pregnant. And when I was um, pregnant with my first son, I was doing home visits and working late hours. And I just kind of realized that now is probably going to be the best time to make the leap. So I went out and had some leave with my son. And then when it was time to go back to work during that time, I kind of started putting the pieces in place to get my private practice going. So it was much more of a personal decision for me and for kind of the balance of work, personal life that I wanted to have. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to hear you talk about it. So you know, as you were talking, I was just wondering, so here you are pregnant, you're working at the agency, you knew you wanted to be in private practice. You know, I don't know, I feel like for a lot of folks, when there's something like a big life event like that, and you're thinking about going into private practice, like the natural tendency would be to be like, okay, I'm just going to stay at my agency job, right? And hang out until things settle down. But how did you find the courage in yourself to push through that? I don't look at it as courage, I think. (laughs) I looked at it as I had a very supportive supervisor and we actually sat and talked about it many times. And although she wanted me to stay at the agency, she was also amazing in helping me just be able to get comfortable with what I saw as my goals coming up. And so it was scary. And oh my gosh, there were times when I sat and looked at my phone and cried because it was not ringing. But I just, I really felt settled with this is how I'm going to be able to make, to prioritize both my family and my career and myself. So knowing that helped me get over some of the the hard bumps. Yeah, I think that sense of knowing that you can create a career around life, you know, instead of the other way around. There's something very transformative if you sit with that long enough. Yeah. And I mean, even like my supervisor had offered to, you know, on certain days you can take your kiddos into work. And while I appreciated her flexibility, you're exactly right. I didn't want to build my life around my career. I wanted to build my career around my life. And Mm -hmm. so that just knowing that helped. It's amazing. 
uh, not at all to put you on the spot, but like, was there any like big pearl of wisdom that your supervisor said as you guys were having that, that conversation about you going to private practice that still stands out to you? My biggest fear was the loneliness in private Mm -hmm. practice. And so she just was able to help me realize that that would be a choice that I would make. Mm -hmm. And so I could choose to go out in private practice and stay isolated and lonely, or I could choose to build in pieces that ensured that I wasn't out there feeling like I was practicing alone. So that's really helped um, and shaped a lot of what I do in practice. Yeah, that's amazing. So I I wanted to talk fast forward quite a bit and talk about you starting to expand this practice, this dream that you had. How did you know? And this is, I guess, a two-part kind of question, but at an emotional level and at a practical level, how did you know that you were ready to start adding other clinicians to your practice? On the practical level, I was, I, I quickly... So I made the transition to a group practice at my one-year anniversary of my private practice. So I um, had many months of just sitting, like I said, and staring at the phone. And then after that, got it together, <laughs> kind of figured out what I needed to do. And then I had kind of towards the end of that year, three or four months where it was just constantly, I'm full, I'm full. And so I kind of... Sp- sat with myself for a while and started, like I started putting away money each month that I thought would need to go to rent to a bigger place and had planned for, this is what I think the expenses will be. Let me just try this for a couple of months and pretend that that's real life and just see if if I can make it. And I did. And so it kind of, that knowledge and that cushion kind of gave me the extra I guess, emotional push that I needed to be able to say, you can, you know, it's going to change a lot, but at the same time, you can do this. This is the right time. Mm. You know, I feel like uh, you just said it so beautifully because I do feel like a lot of us in the field are very skilled at being able to plan. And I think like, I love how full you are about it, right? Like you knew that you wanted to expand. So it wasn't just a, I woke up one day and I'm going to go find you know, bigger office space, it was, I knew this is a vision and I need to start thinking as a business owner, right? And not just at an emotional level. And I need to do really practical things to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps kind of taking that approach helps me because I would be easily get into the emotion and excitement and okay, let's do this. Let's do this today. But doing, having a process and a plan and a way of doing it helps me kind of build mastery, I guess. And so um, feel comfortable in knowing, I guess, getting to more that wise place instead of just the emotion place. So yes, I can do it. And yes, I'm still excited to do it. And so both of those kind of mold together. That's really neat. So how many clinicians do you have in the practice now? Right now I have three. Awesome. That's amazing. How long did it take you to get up to the three? So I started with just one and that person actually is no longer here. He went and took on an amazing position, but within probably three months, I had a second person on and then a couple months after that had a third person. So it grew pretty quickly, quicker than I was anticipating, I think at the beginning, but yeah, it worked. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how you can look at things like looking backwards and you're like, you know, in that moment, you're just worried and freaking out, right? But things do, like things settle and things do work out. And yeah, I wanted to talk just really practical things, right? So you've now hired multiple clinicians. 
And, you know, I was like talking about this actually in the intro to this episode, where at some point for all of us as business owners, we need to make that transition from just being like a tactician or just a clinician to a CEO, right? Yeah. And like, what tips would you have that you've picked up along the way, your top three ones for managing clinicians? So my top three, I'll kind of lay them out and then go a little bit deeper with them. But I would say the first one, and it's it's probably simple. People are going to be like rolling their eyes. Um, but trust your gut and really follow <laughs> and give yourself permission to to listen to what your gut is saying. And then I would say the second one would be provide value to your clinicians, not just, again, of course, as a private practitioner, your goal is to provide value to your clients and your community. But I think really specifically figuring out how you can provide value to, to your clinicians. And then the third one, I have found a lot of success, I believe, in helping my clinicians also view what we do as a business. So helping them have a little being able to combine the clinician mindset and the business mindset. Yeah. I mean, these sound like very common sense things, but there's a lot of wisdom within them because there's a lot of, I think sometimes we can make hires for the sake of filling a position, but it changes the trajectory of the business and of the clinicians you hire when you start to see them as part of the process and that, you know, it's something that you want them to feel empowered with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, like I said, I've, I've learned of course, a lot along the way in those times when I did not trust my gut about people. And it's not that they were not great clinicians. And I think that's what clouded Mm -hmm. me at first is because I knew that they were great clinicians. However, there is a certain culture, feel, environment that is important to me to be able to have in Guilford Counseling. And each of those times when I did not trust that little voice in my gut, it became a large problem that, you know, that didn't need to happen. And again, not necessarily clinically, but just with fit, goodness of fit. Yeah. Almost like culture remission or This is really practical. Did you come up with something like that, like a sort of a mission statement or a a vision of what what you wanted Guilford Counseling to look like before? Or was that something that kind of evolved over time? Both. So I did certainly have a, a vision of what I wanted kind of the end product to be of Guilford Counseling. And at the same time, that's definitely changed and, you know, shifted and grown a little bit over time. What would you say just are general like things that you feel like are your strongest values that you want that you're thinking about, you know, as you create a successful business? So one of the words that comes to my head is comfort. It's really important to me from the moment that people make contact with us that they feel supported and comfortable. And so that means little things like the lighting in the lobby, the ease with which they can get in touch with a clinician up to larger things and knowing that, you know, help them through some more difficult processes, whether that's medication management or, you know, bigger things that are going on in their life. And, you know, the population of folks that we work with are coming in with a super high level of stress. And a lot of them are doubting whether they can manage and make it. And so for me, that environment, that feel both with the clinician and with the space is very important. Yeah, because I think you just said it like the littlest things, right, have a big impact over time. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if they can't get in touch with a clinician when they need to or, you know, they can't get in the parking lot or, you know, Mm -hmm. those are things that we might be able to get over. But if that's the last straw, there's no reason to add that onto onto someone's pile of stress. Mm -hmm. So the first tip was to trust your gut. And part of trusting your gut is figuring out what your values are and your mission is and trusting that mission instead of solely relying on things like clinical skill, which is a great thing, but like there's has to be clinical skill plus fit. That's sort of the key. Yeah. You said the second thing is provide value to your clinicians. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. What we do is hard, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so I'm not a millionaire personally. I don't know many of us that are. So, you know, we have to find value in, in other ways. And, you know, so doing that, like I have a monthly training that I do with my clinicians, just, you know, what is it that you want to learn more about? So we do monthly, at least some sort of hour and a half learning events so that they feel like they are heard and that they're getting some continual education. And it's relationship building too, you know, having us all in the same space at the same time. I think like one thing I was just thinking, like, You said it like, so it's not just about hiring the clinician, but it's also continuing to help them and support them once they're hired. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They are Guilford Counseling and they are what makes it possible for us to reach a wider spread of people. And so I really want them to know that. And it's important for me to, for them to know truly how much they're appreciated and valued. And it's, Mm -hmm. while it is a business, it's also you know, I'm in the business of, of helping clinicians also continue to be, feel supported and why they're supporting their clients. Yeah. I don't know if this might be like an overly simple idea, but this is such a foreign concept to me. But I think you can be kind and value-driven and sensitive and thoughtful and take care of those who work for you and you can create income. Like those aren't dichotomous things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that I've really tried to kind of take that kind of that recovery model mindset of we are all equals and we're all, you know, in this together. We may not agree, but we're still all in this together and really try to apply that to leadership and clinicians too. You know, from little things like, you know, thank you notes and cards and little gift cards, providing bonuses. I got to itsy bitsy small holiday bonus this year, which you know, is something. Um, but then again, up to the the bigger things, which to me do kind of come back to the culture of, you know, I'm going to sit here and listen if there's something going on that, you know, that you need me to listen to. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Even I, as I think about like even past employers, when I have felt like they've taken care of me, what's naturally happened for me is I feel more invested in the process and I want to do my best work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I read, I don't know, I'm going to butcher this up probably, but I read somewhere something like, you know, people leave agencies because of people, not because Mm -hmm. of the So in my mind, people stay with agencies because of, not because of Guilford Counseling and necessarily what we do, but because of people. So I want to be one of those people that they want to stay for. Absolutely. Um, the last thing you said was you really work on helping your clinicians see themselves just not as clinicians, but as business owners as well. What are some of the ways that you do that? So I, we regularly have 
discussions on what direction do we want to go in? Does this fit in the direction that we want to go in? So really including them in the future planning and the goal development and, you know, decisions that come along with that. And also this, and this is probably the, was the hardest thing for me. And the thing that surprised me the most is I'm amazing, I think, (laughs) at recognizing people's strength and worth. And at the same time, it was so very hard for me to allow people to do more than just be a clinician within my business. And I thought that by having them do little things that it was just putting more on them when in reality, like exactly like you said, it was helping them take more ownership and they felt a bigger part of the team. And, you know, from again, simple things as can I check the voicemail for you on certain days or I've got one clinician who is phenomenal at organization. So she, you know, likes to go through different charts and kind of do like a mini audit for us. And so those are things that I would have been up at one or two in the morning doing on my own and feeling like that's my job. That's my, you know, why would I ask someone else to do this? But then through time, I realized that this, they enjoy this and this is what helps them feel ownership and really a part of Guilford Counseling and not just, you know, a clinician. So being able to hand some of those little things over and do it in the way of, I'm not asking too much from you. I'm actually providing you an opportunity to do what it is that you want to do to contribute hmm. was a different mindset for me. Yeah. It's, it's mutually empowering. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I am glad you said that because I, I struggle with that as well, which is like giving up sort of, I don't know if it's like a control thing for me or whatever it is, but you know, like I, I think I'm slowly realizing that sounds like you're way further along than I am, but you know, like delegating things and I think making people feel empowered, right? There's something to that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was a vulnerable process because along with it came, this is what I'm not doing well, me. This is what me, Jennifer is not doing well. And because we could have those conversations with, within our team, you know, they were more than happy to jump up and say, you know what, you don't do that well. I do that really well. So let me take that and you can take this. And it was, it was just really a powerful kind of transition process of, of building our team. I may be misciting this, but so Tim Ferriss just came out with a new book where he interviewed, he wrote a book uh, based on his podcast interviews where he's interviewed millionaires and billionaires and high performance athletes and successful business people. And one of the like case studies I was looking at um, there was this line that stood out. It said that the best business owners recognize what their strengths are and they work within their one or two strengths instead of trying to do everything. I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. And I've <laughs> I've had to, you know, kind of go through the personal process of I am not good at everything and that's okay. Absolutely. Um, the last question I had for you was, what was something in, unanticipated that you have learned from this whole process of hiring clinicians and expanding your practice? Yeah. So there's been so much learning, (laughs) but I think one of the biggest surprises for me, and this is again, maybe simplistic, but that not everyone finds comfort in the way that I do things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. right, Darn it. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I have this kind of laid back expectations until like there's these non-negotiables and then everything else is kind of negotiable. Mm. 
And I'm really comfortable with that. And not a lot of, you know, not everyone is. And so I've had to kind of figure out, you know, how do we work with that? How do I change up my style and way of doing things for the needs of different people? And again, I think it comes back to that team mentality. And if they're, I am willing to do that and to invest in them at the same time, they're willing to invest in their time and efforts here. So that's awesome. You've been busy on multiple levels. Uh, we've chatted, you're launching a podcast to serve your, to serve your clients. Tell us a little bit more about that and some of the best ways that we can touch base and reach out to you. Yeah. All right. So I absolutely am thrilled to be launching my podcast this week, Friday, or I guess I don't know when this is. December 16th is when I get to launch. And so that has been a a fun learning process for me. So um, it's called Skills for Living. And it's the, I, my hope with it is that I can have folks get more access to information that helps them live a healthier life, whatever that, you know, healthier, more effective, whatever that means for them. So talking about, you know, how to get a regular meditation practice going or, you know, how to kind of increase self-compassion, those kinds of ideas. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I've I've been behind the scenes and learned a lot. I feel like it's going to help a lot of folks. And tell us a little bit, where can we find you in terms of websites? Yeah. So my website is guilfordcounseling.com. And to get to the podcast then would be guilfordcounseling.com forward slash podcast. Otherwise, there's a contact me on the website. I'd be happy to, to have folks reach out if they're interested. Sounds great. Jennifer, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for our friendship. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for the invitation. Take good care. You too. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer. And more importantly, I hope that it has given you some hope and encouragement, especially if you are thinking about adding additional clinicians to your practice. There were a couple of things that really resonated for me when Jennifer was talking and sharing her insights. The first thing is talking about and thinking about this idea of culture and what you want the culture of your private practice to be, right? This is something, you know, I'm a solo practitioner, and I think this is something that I think a lot about, but I think it's even more important to think about it as your business expands, because as you add more people, I think the tension will always be you can lose that culture. And so how do you preserve that, and what intentional things can you do to make hiring decisions based on culture and and fit for your bigger vision. The second thing I think that resonated is that Jennifer really takes the time to get to know her clinicians that, that work for her, but she makes them part of the Guilford counseling journey. And I think just in general, this is one, I think Jennifer is just a very kind person and I've gotten to know her and I know this is her heart, but I think like as a business owner, this is a really good idea because when folks feel more invested in the process, right, they're more likely to help us to go above and beyond and all of those things. I totally butchered the name of Tim Ferriss's book. Uh, truth be told, I just forgot the name of it, but um, I will link to it here in the show notes. The book is called Tools of Titans, The Tactics 
routines and habits of billionaires, icons, and world-class performers. It's Tim Ferriss's new book. It's a huge book. It's over 600 pages long. But uh, in it, he looks at a lot of the, the habits. And I think as you whether you're a solo practitioner or in a group or have multiple clinicians, I think it's really important. And I feel like this is something that I've learned. It's really important to learn um, what other folks are doing and thinking about how you can incorporate what has worked for them into your own journey as a business owner. You can find show notes to today's episode as well as a link to Tim Ferriss's book at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one zero five. As we wrap up, I just wanted to say, take a moment to just to say thank you for being part of the STC story with me. None of this would be possible without each of you. Our community is growing rapidly. Uh, We are well over 3,500 members now, colleagues from all around the world that are just supporting and helping one another. And uh, if you haven't had the chance, we would love to have you in it. You can join at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. Please be patient with me. I think we're getting quite a few requests and I definitely want to have you in the community, but I also want to just make sure that I'm vetting and doing all of those things just because, uh, you know, I think as the community gets bigger, I'm getting a lot more spammers. So I just want to make sure that uh, the quality is maintained. So thank you again and uh, take good care and have a great rest of your week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.